Hey guys, it is Dave Morrison here with you for another episode of The Frosted Side. Welcome back, everybody. Dave Linquist is down doing daddy duty, so it's just me flying solo once again. Hope you guys had an awesome summer. Fall is just around the corner. That means pumpkin everything, pumpkin coffee, pumpkin beer, pumpkin cornstarch or whatever. Don't even get me going. It doesn't feel like summer is over. I had to turn the fans off just to talk to you guys. And of course, I'm talking to you in my quiet radio voice because we've got neighbors sleeping we're taking all requests just call in to the hotline right now you want to hear some kenny g luther vandross all right enough of my radio voice because that is not what you guys tuned in for well maybe some of you did in which case you might have to wait just a little bit longer because we're here to introduce our special guest this week al gentile he's a friend of mine he is a journalist with wickedlocal.com or should i say formerly of wickedlocal.com which is a newspaper here in the greater boston area covering the 351 cities and towns in massachusetts he's got his own band he's a musician too the analogs we're going to play some analogs for you later on in the program actually more towards the end of this podcast you know what we do we invite a guest on they pick a cartoon and a sugary cereal because the two go great together this week al picked street sharks the episode Shark Treatment dated November 7th, 1994 and the exploits of Dr. Paradigm and his mind control serum. For cereal, he picked Cookie Crisp, which really should be labeled crack by the FDA. That's what it was, crack for kids. We're going to get into all of that in just a few minutes. So, you know the drill. Don't touch that dial. Grab a seat in front of the television, not too close. And don't pick at the marshmallows, because here comes the frosted side with myself, Dave Linquist, and our special guest, Al Gentile. Don't touch that dial. Grab a seat in front of the television, not too close. And don't pick at the marshmallows, because here comes the frosted side with the Daves, Dave Morrison and Dave Linquist. Saturday morning, it's a magical ride, so hop on board with the Frosted Side. Dave M. Dave L. Watch the Saturday shows and give you useful facts that only Rawson knows. Then put on a guest, review a cartoon, and a sugary cereal. Grab a spoon, don't touch that channel, grab some chow, the Frosted Side. It begins now. episode dave it's been a while yes a lot of changes in our lives i have a baby yeah little lucy talk a little bit about lucy linquist uh lucy showed up uh exactly on schedule on father's day the 16th uh, due date that is so sweet yeah very nice uh (laughs) and she came out giant uh nine pounds 12 ounces at birth uh, I think she's finally got back up to that now, six weeks in or so. But uh, mm. yeah, having a good time. Uh, it's like an exhaustingly amazing experience. I'm like sleeping in three-hour chunks. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have enough energy to say to Jessica, baby's crying, get up? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> if I want to get hit. <laughs> uh, cool. You're basically a military sentry now. Oh, yes. Oh, that's a good way of putting Drills. it. All right. Al, I love the choices for this week. I gotta say, I was uh, imbibing on uh, our, our TV show yesterday, and uh, I, I missed this one the first one, uh, time around. So I don't know. You guys want to get into uh, Al's choice of show here? Yeah, stuff? I totally forgot that I chose the show. Yeah. 
Why don't we oh, talk man. a little bit about, well, before we, I hate to uh, cut you off there, Al, but uh, we're talking with Al Gentile. He is a writer. I want to give you a little proper introduction. Oh, yeah. It's what yeah. we do right here on the Frosted Side. And you are a writer. You're a musician. You wrote for the Lexington Minuteman. You were with Wicked Local. And you were, you're a musician. You're, of course, you play guitar with the band The Hallways. You guys just had a couple reunion shows at Lowell oh, Folk cool. Festival. Yeah. And, of, of course, you played the final night at Uncharted, which was a nightclub and gallery here in downtown Lowell, which unfortunately just closed down. Which is a funny story. So we were supposed to play the second to last night, and their insurance actually ran out. Yeah. 12.01 on Wednesday. This was last week. So I didn't realize I was playing the very last show until about two hours before. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh. So I uh, I went from cooking pizza at that place. I remember. To bartending to closing it out. Wow. Right? How is that for upward mobility in a wow. small business? Who says you can't move up? <laughs> well, I just find it so sad that it's, yeah. it's another sanctuary it's another oasis part of lowell's art scene that's now gone that was the place to go after uh the the back page closed down a few years ago and uh and i i was really looking forward to having a night off this week i was actually thinking about going down and then i read that uncharted would close down i was like no mm. that's too bad linquist have you ever been there no no actually yeah tell me a little bit more about the space i uh i don't make it up this way too often yeah well so first off where are you from uh everybody I, everybody listening li- knows li- but i don't living in newton now in spent newton. the bulk of the last i'd say 15 years or so in somerville cambridge area i see okay so uncharted uh is or was a sort of a blend uh bar music venue art gallery Okay. Small food, uh, start off with like pizza and sandwiches and stuff, yep. craft beers, cheap beers, and then just a big wide, o- it's basically just like a big wide open room um, where they would hang up art shows monthly and do like, it was like a music venue. So um, basically any local band in the Lowell, basically any local band in the Merrimack Valley has played there so much that they can say that it was sort of like an incubator for them. Now, is it the kind of space that, like, I, I know at least around me in Somerville, there were the venues that booked certain genres. Is this like one so, kind of music happens here? The, the one it, thing, the one thing people would say is that it was largely like, a, <laughs> I'm, I may catch some flack for this, but it was largely like a, um, you know, a venue for like white people. So okay. it was rock, it was indie rock, it was noise music. Mm-hmm. Um, they used to do all types of things, like an all ages, like death or doom metal show. Right. A record label actually used to bring their their kids. Or a gentleman who owns the record label had three kids, all within the ages of between twelve and sixteen, and they mm-hmm. were in this band, Circus Trees. And Uncharted was the first place they ever played, I believe. One of the sickest bands I've ever heard. Oh, you, really? you can forget that they're like that young. Oh, that's but great. just like that band, there were so many that we know today and that are either big or have gone. Where mm. Uncharted, not only in the latest iteration, but in its sort of long history of being a thing in Lowell, um, can say like, "Oh, we had our first show there. We had our best shows there." And then, you know, they're, they're they find themselves at varying levels of um, success now. 
Right. Um, but everybody's got a story about Uncharted is basically like the... And it's really too bad because I know they had been raising money on Kickstarter and the way that mm. uh, things have gone now with the sharing economy and, of course, rising rents. And we mentioned that with Charles T. Rivers and many of the, the nightclub venues going the way of the dodo bird. Thankfully, the Burren <laughs> is, in, in Somerville is going to be safe. But yeah, we'll see about say, Sligo say, next door. Sligo go, next but... door, yeah, no. Sligo might not be... Uh, part of the uh, the new davis square redevelopment that's what it is it's all about mixed use uh, uh unaffordable housing i mean at least you got to send it off there's something to be said for that you know <laughs> yeah and one thing i will say for anybody that's listening and knows uncharted i would be very wary I, I would make sure that we just sort of understand it as a loss of a place we love and to not necessarily point so many fingers around there's a lot of talk about uncharted and there's a lot of talk um, about the the reasons why it happened. Uh, definitely, I would just say if you have a chance to talk to Mike, Mike might talk to you. Mike Daly. Mike Daly, uh, the owner, former owner. Um, yeah, that's basically it. Okay. <laughs> well, that's well, that's great. And of course, uh, you you still you still do music. And of course, you have the band, the Hallways. And I, I saw I I missed you guys at Lowell mm. Folk Fest. Of course, we had that about a week ago. You performed at Worthen Fest. That's the proper title. Yeah, that was a fun show. First first big one in a long time. Uh, unfortunately, that band is not getting back together. So after Uncharted, I no longer play for the hallways. No. Which, uh, <laughs> which, a re- reunion gig? A really quick thing. Yeah. Um, we've played a, I think we've played a couple... We played a couple of Worthen Fests that were just like, hey guys, let's get back together because somebody close to one of the members is close to the planning of the Worthing Fest. It's always easy. It's just always a fun thing. Right. Now I have a solo project called The Analogs. Um, I'm going to be releasing a... I saw that. Uh, by the way, not the uh, the crust punk band from Poland, I think. Ah. A lot of people are like... <laughs> I actually get messages in Polish or whatever language they're from often because people oh, will be great. like... Something it, Eastern European. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm working on an EP right now. I have music up on SoundCloud. Um, okay. I'm a copywriter. I do marketing writing, freelance. Uh, work in my underwear often. Um, That's great. Let's get into your choice a little bit. Uh, so <laughs> I am. I guess this is probably the first episode of it I ever watched because you're saying I'm bordering on too old for it. I think it came out in '93. '94. '94. '94 to '97. Yeah. So I would have been yeah 13, 14 ish. So way so too cool. September 11th, 1994. Yeah. It premiered, <laughs> yeah. and then May 18th, 1997 was the final episode. Of course, it was another Deke production. You have the little kid in the bed, and then Deke. Deke move. Remember that little production logo? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Deke we were talking move. about And then someone says it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do, 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 Deke. So, mm-hmm. th- so this was a go-to in your childhood? This was like... <laughs> yeah, so Street Sharks was like one of the first cartoons that I can remember where like violence was cool. Because I... Violence is cool. I really, like... <clears throat> I mean, when I was even younger, we, I watched Ren and Stimpy. Yep. When I was uh, about that age still, I watched, like, Beavis and Butthead. But, like, mm-hmm. all violence in those shows is, like, negative, and it's being done because the people involved are really stupid, yeah. right? Yeah, That's the only yeah. reason you see violence in these types of shows, because they just don't know how to deal with Cautionary tales, yeah. pretty much. <clears throat> in a weird way, yeah. But Street Sharks... Um, really similar to uh, like Ninja Turtles, of which many people consider Street Sharks like generally a ripoff. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts <clears> there. <laughs> yes, we'll definitely we'll get, into, get that. into that. Um, uh, it's the fact that like violence is a tool for justice, 
Um, mm -hmm. And in a way, if you want to read into it a lot, that's a very interesting. That's a very interesting part of my life. But in the end, I would have to say that this is perhaps one of the cheesiest cartoons I have ever seen in my life as an adult. Yeah. Oh man. Rewatching watching it, that episode. Shark <laughs> Treatment was the name of the episode. Just uh, for anybody listening. Season one, episode eight. Season one, episode eight. Shark Treatment. And, and there's the writing in this episode. <laughs> just, wow. Was it was it a, was it a writer or was it a four year old? Am I sure? The, at, at the very beginning of the credits, oh, I wish I. Uh, brought my notes because like, i got the, my notes the title comes up and then the first thing underneath is like the name oh, really? of the it's person like here's here's it's who's like, responsible this for this train wreck right here just so that you know oh, this this episode like they, they contradict themselves a few times in it there's some i want to say arguably but not not arguably there's some straight up racism in there oh, we're gonna there's, get to jets taylor in a second because yeah, I, I have some thoughts about that mm. just, dave you're usually pretty good at this kid. do you want to sort of give in to summarize oh, no. no 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 like starting just, fights online no, no. Just, just, <laughs> you never just just like explaining the general plot of the episode I all right like so you've got the names uh, i mean stuff. al you know you can help me out with this one but basically it's just uh, it's this character uh, Jets Taylor, and he—he's—he's um, he's one of the—he—he—he um, he, he becomes, I guess you would say, Moby Lick, which is kind of the mm -hmm. nemesis of the the street sharks. He's like this 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 killer whale, and he get, and Doctor Paradine gives him this this weird serum to turn him into the to turn him against the the street sharks, and it, it, and Jets Taylor is just basically if they, traits. If they, if they made this like five years earlier, he'd be jive Use, talking using, yeah. using all. <laughs> All the, all the, all the, all the tropes about what a what a, bl a black cartoon character is supposed to be, and, he, and he's you know, also he... a total idiot. By the way, we'll get into like what happens with him. Oh, I like how Doctor Paradigm basically get a go says, "I dropped my pen out on the flag on the flagpole." On the flagpole. That just seems legit. If that's not a red flag, pun intended. Linguist, do you remember this part? So yeah, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I remember. I was shouting at the television, being like. Dude, how could you be so like? What a stupid way to get somebody to go outside, five hundred feet above concrete streets. Like, I'm gonna go get your pen out there. I don't know you, because he doesn't know the doctor beforehand. I'm just gonna go out on this flagpole. Whoops, I guess it's not there. Are you serious? <laughs> so I want to preface this with like how just the setup of this. Uh, it's th this character and another character who I think is a recurring one on the show. I'm not 100 percent on this have been brought in to see evil, evil doctor uh, in his office under the auspices of him curing them of some sort of genetic condition they may or may not have. They go in and approach him, and he's wearing a big robe over everything, but he's in this giant, like, evil-looking mech suit yeah. wearing an eye patch and speaking with, like, what I can only describe as, like, a Doctor Strange love voice. <laughs> and they're just, yeah. like, going along with whatever he says. Like, yeah, you, you don't look threatening at all, but there's there's this clip when he's, like, explaining that, like, before that, when he'd get this, um, they give him the uh, whatever serum the treatment, to the take serum control treatment. of him. I just want to play the dialogue here of, uh, so this is the uh, sort of evil man speaking, and there's a uh, two people looking at him and they're just kind of going along with the treatment suggestion. It's just the writing here. Welcome. As you know, the tests you took in class indicated that the two of you may need special genetic treatments. Oh, oh okay, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Not to yeah. worry. You're in the hands of the world's greatest genetic scientist. 
Lena, if you would bring us the compatibility serum. I'm just like, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. sure. All right. We'll Wait, and is that probably he like looking very at their learned. hands? Really? Yeah. What? <laughs> that Whoa. seems legit. Dude, yeah, see, bad choice number one. This whole episode is just a series of bad choices, basically. It's like the guy jumps out onto the flagpole, doesn't obviously look. I mean, and also, when you look at the episode, the flagpole is maybe four feet away. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like he could have just looked at it real quick and said, oh, dude, your pen is not out there. But instead, he jumps out, almost falls off. And he didn't break <laughs> the damn flagpole. I know. <laughs> Obviously, when you watch a show like this that you've seen in your past and you watch it with sort of the intelligence that you've hopefully built up since then, you start to realize that about, especially with this show, about 90% of the interactions are like completely worthless and completely flawed and taken like out of reality. Yeah. Such as jumping on a flagpole four feet away. We've run into a bit of that over the course of this show. I'm so sure. I'm sure. It's caveat emptor. Let the buyer beware uh-huh. in terms of Dr. Paradigm. He seems like such a legit doctor when he tells that uh, woman, oh, you didn't need the, the uh, serum <laughs> oh, yeah. treatments. Like, it will whoops. heal itself. <laughs> so so the street oh, well. the street sharks in general, uh, you know like kind of the backstory. And after mm-hmm. the, they're brothers. Is that right? Yeah. So they're four brothers, and they have a father who's a scientist who is the nemesis of the bad scientist and basically they're both genetic engineers the boys uh, the four boys i I forget all of their names their father's the good one the other one's the evil one Mm -hmm. the evil one basically discovers in the first episode that he can fuse the dna of animals with the dna of humans to then change right point number one that like i did not think about before is that Instead of what we know as DNA today, which mm-hmm. usually like you have to, uh, the next thing comes when the next baby is born. That's usually yeah. how like evolution yeah. works. Instead, they in live time within a matter of seconds fuse two things into one being. Right. And the evil doctor does that to the four boys, but does is not able to control them. So then they become enemies. And then the entire show is basically this doctor choosing a new person or a new thing, largely, to, to, subject, to, this to subject to this thing to get on his side, but then lose every single time. Okay, so this episode, the the serum he's using to try and mind control their friend is like the progression from like, oh, I turned you into monsters, but I don't control you. So no, now, see, like, the I'll serum isn't even in the first episode. No. So he literally just assumes that these wild beasts are just going to like do what Follow. he says because... There's there's two or three other like like sub bad guys that like do follow him because they're stupid. They they get no benefit out of that relationship <laughs> at all, but they can talk and think like humans. Speaking of brothers, let's go back to Jets Taylor who becomes oh, Moby God. Lick, <laughs> oh, which is a great porn name. Yeah, Moby Lick. Moby Lick. I thought his name was funny because there's a the the big football playing brother, the 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 orange shark is yes. called Big Slamu, which is really <laughs> funny because. If you remember, around that wow. time in the mid '90s, there was Shamu, right, or right, no, yeah, early absolutely. '90s. Well, oh yeah, there have been yeah. So that's how you can so that's how you can tell that this cartoon was written in live time as opposed to made in several installments right. before, right. because they were right. like, all right, 
Killer whales are big. We have to get a killer whale in here. Can we call it Big Slamu because oh, yeah, of Shamu? This must be like no. the around when Free Willy came. Exactly. <laughs> so, well, Slamu and uh, that name's already really, taken. If, He's a black fish. Absolutely. Of course, he has to be a black fish. He has to have a tan. <laughs> oh, well, guys, mammal. Come on. Yeah, mammal. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> mammal. Thank you, Damn, you're good. <laughs> Damn, you oh, paid attention good. to science, Dave Lambus. Yeah. <laughs> and street sharks, apparently. Oh, yeah, so, so just like generally, like sort of outside this episode, I love the voice acting. And, you know, as we got it, one of them definitely sounds like Michelangelo from the Ninja Turtles. Mm -hmm. And that's the amazing to me is that like they're supposed to be brothers, but one of them is definitely from Southern California, and the, <laughs> yeah. the other ones are. Oh, he, he's uh, he's living with the new mom <laughs> yeah. over in Malibu. We we mentioned the Ninja Turtles, of course. Jab, who is voiced by Matt Hill, is also known for playing Kevin Keen as in Captain N, the Game Master, oh, which wow. we reviewed. Oh, yeah. oh uh, I didn't back, recognize uh, that last oh, fall. Dave and I, of course, he did play Raphael. He did voice Raphael in Ninja Turtles. The next mutation. mutation, yeah. Why did I know that? <laughs> I was looking. I had a good feeling that we would have a lot of like rookie voice actors in this show that we'd see elsewhere in the future. Yeah, there is not mm. as much crossover with this one as almost every other show we've done has had. Like maybe this your, ended their career. Like Frank Welker and his animal voices. Yeah, Frank Welker or in, uh, Rob in Paulson. Everything. Rob and, Paulson, yeah. yeah the, who I think was a Raphael in the. Original I think he was the Earth original. Movie. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, just and then so my other thing with this is what each one seems to have their own power of some sort. Like mm -hmm. one can like smash the pavement. Uh, one, I guess, his power is owning a motorcycle. But uh, so they, they can swim through the streets. Is that right? That's <laughs> what I wanted to get through, because I'm thinking to myself, what pavement. kind of a what kind of a stupid thing is that when they're trying to, like, save people? But what they're doing is causing massive Massive damage to the infrastructure and everywhere with, they like, go. Start stopping a small, smallish bank robbery. They were definitely tearing up like way more. Yeah, entire boulevards. They're like they'll stop the bank robber who probably just has a sack of useless coins because that's what money probably is in Fission City. But instead, they'll they'll, <laughs> they'll go and create like a hundred million dollars in damage every single time. It's I, like, I, I've got to say, though, that, that uh, dorsal fin sticking out of the middle of the street it would have been a cool shot if I were, like, six or seven years old. Uh, yeah. Like, oh, that's yeah. great. Uh, Maybe they had a little bit of, um, whatchamacallit, like, mole DNA, like, mixed in with them <laughs> as well. Well, they, they certainly DNA. had some uh, impressive jaw strength. Like, yeah. Just, like, taking bites out of cars. <laughs> <laughs> and eating it, like, completely, <laughs> completely consuming, delicious. like, well, steel. Interesting, just from a scientific standpoint, uh, uh, in street sharks, they they're, they're, they hunt in a group. Where in real life, the sharks are solitary hunters, and uh, in, in this cartoon, it's it's the whole thing's flip flop. With you got the whale, the whale's hunting um, is is the sole hunter, the, oh, the killer yeah. whale. So thing that we learned there in we third go. grade. Yeah, uh, there we nice. go. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I just want to like go into a little more of like. What a, like, I mean, you got to add it a little bit out. Like, it is such a picture of the time period it's from. Like, this is Mid this is the area, like, one of the characters was wearing rollerblades the entire time. I was going to say, this is around the time that rollerblades were cool for the first time. 
Rollerblades had really sort of just come out because in, rollerblades were like a late eight, like a very late eighties yeah, thing. No, it was roller skates. Roller roller skates were before that, and roller skates were sort of what people rolled around on wheels on their feet. Yeah, because it looked like you had a big, you were wearing a big brick on your feet yeah. with like four wheels. Yeah, and like you always, you all, you never looked graceful. You always looked <laughs> stupid. Rollerblades started around this time. Yes, it did nineties. And it's I like, had some. and it's like you think about it, each and every one of these guys has these like li- and the, the street sharks you see in front of us are determined by largely the lives they led before one's a okay. football player the big uh, one's the a big football player one. so okay, he's yeah, the one that yeah. like goes and smashes you know and that type of thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what is really astounding to me and especially you know you, you you'd have to watch the first episode to get this but they turn into sharks that have like largely the same like capabilities as they do but none of them really seem to care at all and there's no throughout the series. I'll just kill it for you. Um, they never get cured of being sharks. So they're like, oh. "Oh my god, I was a football player. Now I'm a shark that can tackle people." Well, I guess that's all right. <laughs> it's like <laughs> this is there's life. nothing wrong with what's well, going on well, to them. So the end of this episode was sort of like that. Their their friend turned killer whale just seems to kind of accept his fate, and he's like, "No, no that's <laughs> yeah. not my name anymore. You can call. <laughs> call <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can call me Moby Lick. I'm gonna get my license changed next week. I don't want... <laughs> what a what a day. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> the end of the day, he's just accepted his fate. <laughs> saying, Do you guys remember when he was eating the burgers? Oh my god! He wanted the burger at the beginning of the episode. He yes. so badly wants a burger, and he takes one bite of a seven patty burger. He was very and then impatient. just runs away. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, they have to portray a, a, a black killer whale as being impatient. So, uh, is that a consistent throughout this series? Are are burgers the pizza of Ninja Turtles? To no, show? Uh, I think yeah, that point. burger stand looks like like. I forget what it's called. Burgertopia, probably. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like, um, yeah, that's a recurring thing you see every once in a while. But the street sharks, especially, like, largely eat inedible things, okay, like yeah. to survive. Yeah, we did see some of them. Um, whereas the Ninja Turtles, they eat an absurd amount of pizza that would kill any other man. At least <laughs> there's like there's nutritional value to it. These guys are eating cars and. Um, God knows what that's like coming out the other side, you know? Well, wasn't pizza classified as a vegetable about five or six years ago by the federal government? Absolutely, so and I think it's so right. It I think it's perfect. Uh, so I was thinking this is like the era of uh, extreme. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. with, with no e, extreme, with bro. no e at the beginning of it, and then like thinking of other, well, I guess we can list them off la- later. <laughs> yeah, but we other can. like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles derivative type shows. Yeah, and this reminded me of another one, and I went and, when I went looking for it because I knew the title was kind of similar to that extreme sort of thing, and I guess they're like connected and share a universe. It was. Uh, Extreme dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah. style. They is link up later on, and like because... they show up in the show at some point. <laughs> yeah, they come from an exoplanet where it's populated by humanoid dinosaurs. You know, not not really paying attention to the fact that like this other planet has a complete and total different evolutionary history and stuff. It's like, oh, this is a place where dinosaurs and humans probably had sex. So like, there you go. <laughs> it's like that's it. It's like the Flintstones. You know, it's like. <laughs> Oh man, that's great. Yeah. Mm. So you guys want to get down to some chow? Yeah. Cereal. Yeah. Get some I'm, I'm really excited. All right, cookies. Cookies for breakfast. Time out. See, I make the calls, and I say cookies aren't for breakfast. Yeah. Hey, no. Whoever says cookies aren't for breakfast hasn't tried cookie crisp cereal. Mm. It's the only. 
are back, We're and we've back got some cookie, cookie crisp. crisp. All right. Al's got no milk, yeah, no and mm. Dave and I have a little splash of coconut milk and we're going to chow down to this and it looks like they changed mascots i'm looking at the box right here dave yeah, is going to um, get into that yeah i'll get into kind of the history of this because i noticed this not too long ago and went and kind of looked it up the um the uh, mascot on the box now is a wolf um they threw him on 2005 i think it was uh chip the wolf is the name of him the ones I grew up with, and I guess you guys would probably would have too, was uh, uh, Cookie Crook and Cookie Cop. And mm-hmm. it was this constantly, yeah, there was, it was that kind of uh, slapstick. Um, cookie Crook is trying to steal cookies. The cop stops him at some point or another in that run. A dog with a mask over his eyes, just like the Cookie Crook shows up and Chip the dog, he's kind of his like cohort or whatever. Mm. I guess apparently before that, when the cereal came out in the late 70s, there was a Cookie Crisp wizard just mm. called Cookie Jarvis. <laughs> which which he, he doesn't really look like a Jarvis to me. He's kind of a Merlin sort of thing. Mm, I, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but it's a oh, yeah. pretty spectacular looking character. Oh, they're they're there are Papa Smurf vibes to yeah. them. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've heard of a couple other cereals changing mascots over once or so, but this is like complete 180 after complete 180. Like, what is our brand sort of thing? Well, check it out. The militarization of cops started in the 80s. Reagan. Yep. They probably put the cops on there. Put the cop and the crook on there. Mm-hmm. And it was a whiter box, by the way. Just saying. Oh, okay, of course. I think you were rooting for the crook in the commercials, if I'm remembering Everybody correctly. Did. Though. Yeah. He's playing that role of like the Trix Rabbit or like Lucky mm. the Leprechaun. So I guess um, this is this is this was like my most not allowed cereal of my childhood. Mm. My my mother was like a little strict. We've covered it before with cereals, yeah. but uh, this sounded the most unhealthy when looking at the box. Like, oh, it's cookies. Like, mm-hmm. I think I had this maybe two or three times over the course of my childhood. One thing that's leaping out to me right now is I feel like it was very different than this back then. Mm-hmm. It was like more this is definitely cereal at that point. Like. I think it was more cookie-like than this. It was it also was more like, glazed. Mm. Like denser, maybe? Mm-hmm. It was more to it. This is like if they made diet cereals back then. Mm. Yeah. This would be diet cookie crisp. Yeah. But let's also be real and give them some credit for having uh, no high fructose corn syrup. Oh, yeah, no right. colors from artificial sources and no artificial flavors. <laughs> so real food obviously doesn't taste as good as bad food. No, I probably still hesitate to call Cookie Crisp real food, but yeah, <laughs> definite uh, upgrade on the health department. Uh, so I guess what happened? The no was, fun department. Um, <laughs> this is is this General Mills that's making it out. Yeah. Um, so in the eighties, probably when I had this in early nineties, it was owned by Ralston, who sold it off to General Mills, and I guess in ninety five, ninety six, something like that, they changed the recipe over. I don't know if it's subsequently changed since then to get rid of the corn syrup and stuff. But I guess that's when like the big shift in taste is, and I. I think Ralston just makes dog food now. I think they're Purina. I think that's the, the company. Ralston. Ralston or Ralston? Ralston, Ralston Purina. They, I, it, Ralston. It, if I'm remembering right, they kind of fit the role that uh, 
Post does now of making your weird like niche cereals in the 80s and early 90s. Mm. Like maybe they were like the Mr. T cereal or the Ghostbuster cereal. Or, like, oh, th- the this will be on the shelves for a couple months, kind of thing. But uh, so was this like a go-to in childhood for you? Um, yes, and I used to watch Street Sharks while eating Cookie Crisp. I can, I can definitely picture the parrot. Mm-hmm. I remember <clears throat> as a kid, you had. The very same abilities you do as an adult, where you could do several destructive things to yourself at once. <laughs> AKA eating Cookie Crisp and reading and watching the complete and total brain mashing cartoon Street Sharks. Yeah, it's drinking and staying awake till four in the morning. Exactly. <laughs> it's like drinking and doing cocaine and talking to your ex all at once. <laughs> Cookie Crisp and uh, Street Sharks, the speedball of its day. Jay, uh-huh. what are your thoughts? I'm just looking at this, uh, the, the original cookie uh, crook right here with the Seattle Space Needle in the background on this box right here. Mm. Oh, wow, yeah, there's the cookie salt in the box. That's great. And there's no milk in this, right? There's no milk This is a vegan cereal, folks, right? Most of them are pretty much vegan at this point. Except when we started doing this, Dave and I, there was the donut O's that did have some milk products. But most... 95% of the, the cereals and now don't have any milk byproducts. The, you, you get the occasional, um, I guess, one with marshmallows that might have yeah. a, a, a trace of... Um, you might have some traces of dairy, yeah. Or, or gelatin mm. potentially mm. showing up, and I guess that's probably... What is gelatin made of? There's... Horse parts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, uh, I think it's like the keratin or something in, uh, like, hooves and stuff. Oh, like great. To, yeah, the, Properly, but those uh, I'm not I'm not even 100 percent sure those uh, cereal marshmallows have that because it's so far from what an actual marshmallow is. The, mm-hmm. you know. Oh man, this is this is really something. I uh, I'm not sure I could have this like regularly. Yeah, I I'm kind of envious of you having it dry. I feel like this is like. I don't know if you guys ever did this, but you have the occasional like snack as a kid during recess with like a little plastic baggie of cereal. Cereal, yeah. And I feel like this would be perfect. You know, for that. I never <laughs> ever did that. Huh? I would see kids going in with Lucky Charms, and I went to school with this one kid. He didn't have the marshmallows. I guess maybe his parents took him out, yeah. uh, took the marshmallows out, but it would just have the, um, you know, everything but the marshmallows. Yeah. And I'm like, how can you do that? I remember one time when I was a kid. We used to trade snacks, right? I came from a generally, like, a... My mom cooked at home and stuff, so she'd send us with home-cooked stuff, which was never as good as your ho-hos and your devil dogs and stuff. So there was a black market of trading going between the kids whose parents cared about them (laughs) and the kids whose parents generally, like, did not really mind what the fuck they put in their bodies because all this shit is poison. Um... So I remember one time I would finally convince somebody to trade me their Lucky Charms for like my oatmeal pie or something stupid like that. I loved oatmeal pie. Right? Or oatmeal cookies actually, which is even stupider. Oatmeal, yeah. And um, before they traded me, they said, hold on a sec, I have to go to the bathroom. So the kid goes to the freaking bathroom. <laughs> I see where Takes out going. all the marshmallows and then hands me a bag of friggin' marshmallowless lucky charms which is like the practically the worst cereal you can eat he's like here you go and i'm like what the hell did you do with this and he's like you said you wanted to trade we shook True. on it and i'm like no i think i remember crying that time too Aww. i was so i was so That's... looking forward to those cheap 
gelatin marshmallows. Pretty upset. I had the um, um, the the hostess um, the cupcakes, the the chocolate and vanilla the cupcakes. With oh those. wow! Yeah, no, that was my uh, that was um, my treat growing up. And of course, uh, when I went to camp uh, a few years later, when I was around nine, we went to the Natick Hostess Factory. Yeah, the factory <laughs> outlet. I could smell that from my house. They made the cinnamon rolls and wonder right, bread. Right, because you grew there. up in Wayland, oh. and of course. I, I was telling my girlfriend Kim this last week, and she's like, "That is so disgusting. I don't even want to see how the the the, the Hostess and Ding Dog products are made." I'm like, "It no, is, is it is so good." I was trying to tell her this. This cool like industrial bakery, oh. nothing nothing like gross. Oh, it was a blast. Except they grind the horses into gelatin. Into gelatin. Okay. Wow. <laughs> that Thank out- you for ruining out- it for me. <laughs> that outlet store was amazing. <laughs> oh, the outlet store. Yeah. Oh, uh, I don't know. This I'm, is like crack. This is yeah. Like, I, I'm going for a second bowl, 100. The, that's the thing is like I feel like I don't like it that much, but mm. I just keep going back for mm-hmm. more. I think that's what they're doing now. I think that's. Is maybe... there MSG in this? What's that? Is there MSG in this? This tastes <laughs> better than it looks. Ugh. You know, but now I know how Reagan got his idea for the drug war. Reagan? Yeah, I'm dating hey, myself. Jelly beans. <laughs> you got red jelly beans. Yeah, yeah he was super into jelly beans. Great jelly beans. Is they don't have jelly beans. How can you live in a country without jelly beans? We got chocolate jelly beans. Wheel. I gotta say one thing. Like, I wouldn't rank this near the top of the cereals we've done, but I think I've done more eating on mic than I have for any previous one. Mm. <laughs> like, you're right. <laughs> like, there's definitely Precisely. Like, keep going back. So, yeah, apologies for all the eating sounds oh, to yeah, everybody, oh. but I'm sure they're used to it by, at this point. Mm. You know what's a weird thing about street sharks? I really mm-hmm. want to get this out there. Yeah, Go yeah, please. It. So if uh, if you take a look at like what they look like and the fact that their mouths take up about forty percent of their entire like body oh, surface, yeah, they're all mouth, yeah. right? You can't judge their emotions throughout the show. You never see a street shark that looks anything but like violently happy. No, That's like strange. they don't yeah, look they, sad they, or anything. The they're, they're not. Happy. They look like they'd be. And every more time they talk, it's just yeah. like they're 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 like jaw just opens up a little, like like an action figure. Right, right. And I never noticed it as a kid, but when I was watching it, uh, my girlfriend was like, "Their faces look weird," and I was like looking at it a little bit more closely, and I'm like, "Is it because you can't tell what they're thinking?" Does that make all the street sharks um, uh, sociopaths? Or- Did you say you had the toys? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the they're action figures now. are they mm-hmm. worth something now? Like- you can buy a whole lot of the original four on eBay. I checked this earlier today. Okay. Already used. $240. Wow. It's just another thing that, like, collectors get taken advantage of is buying these insane, insane relics. I loved Street Sharks, so I was a diehard fan for, like, three years. So you would, would have been on the too young side to catch Ninja Turtles then? It must have been, like, No, I watched Ninja Turtles later on. Yeah. Ninja Turtles re yeah. Throughout the 90s. And they had several incarnations, of course, Ninja mm-hmm. Turtles. Mm. So I was trying to uh, come up with, like, well, I, I Googled a little bit beyond my mental list, just, like, a list of shows I would consider, like, super derivative of Ninja Turtles and those mm. sort of successors. Uh, just, like, th- that's just where my mind went instantly watching this. And there were a lot of mm. them. There was a pile so, don't mind me running down the list a little. Uh, just tell me if you guys remember these around the same time period as this one. Biker Mice from Mars. Oh, yeah. 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 
there was a Mighty Ducks TV show, but not based around the uh, no, and that's the what really pissed me players. off. Too. It was like Alien Ducks. Yep. <laughs> uh, that's oh, why God, I didn't I tune in. Uh, I, I think the 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 closest to the to the original so much that it's ridiculous. Uh, Super Samurai Pizza Cats. Super Samurai <laughs> Pizza. Yeah, no, yep. th- these were some of the sub shows that were I think later on Cartoon Network and of course. You know, shows like Dexter's Laboratory came much later, and that's when I really started to think that the shows got really, really wacky from that standpoint, mm. and I lost interest, and then I, I kind of forgot about cartoons years later, and then finally, when we started getting older, I started rediscovering that nostalgia mm. for the 80s and 90s when we went to college, or when I went to college, we all started rediscovering all these types of shows, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and the... And the album and the Chipmunks, the the original eighty four to ninety um, um, series on NBC, and um, oh, Al. Well, no, you can't call that original. <laughs> oh, I mean, <laughs> did I say original? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, because nineteen sixty. Hello. Um, I mean, it was original to us, but yeah, no. Um, but yeah, no, we got really, um, you know, we really got got into nostalgia when we went went back to college, and we discovered what real cartoons were and uh you know not mm. to sound like that get off the lawn type of parent but it's it's true it's true those cartoons were so much better they had excitement they had the better theme I, songs and the better sax solos I, <laughs> i'm not sure i agree anymore after how many of these we've watched that like you look back on like i call this kind of crap in a way <laughs> and you know some of some of the other ones we've we've revisited on these like just the i mean look at that gi joe episode we watched right. and, like the, remember uh, it so fondly but like i don't know i've seen some children's programming re- recently and at least they're like you know taking the ch- child's education in, in, into a account or I, I just think of the era when like SpongeBob showed up. Oh and yeah. It was, when you start writing for adults and for kids at the same time, and yeah, it's like over all the logic top is thrown and, out and the window. That's crazy, what I mean. Yeah. But it's a lot smarter than this. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me ask you this, Al. Did the uh, did the um, st- Street Sharks have any uh, like ten second PSA at the end uh, about uh, like some of the cartoons that uh, Dave and I remember back in the eighties? Like, don't don't go into your parents' medicine cabinet. <laughs> Um, absolutely not. I have no recollection of any of my experiences watching Street Sharks as having walk as being able to walk away with anything that would be gainful in my life. Well, that's, that's what I guess we were getting at the beginning of this. This has got to be the tail end of that whole like violence is awesome <laughs> sort of cartoons. Like, I certainly yeah, and grew like, up with a lot of those shows, but and like, like I don't remember there being shows running this late that were just like, yeah, let's blow things just up, fuck or it, yeah. eat cars. But, but like the thing is, is like with this with this show, if they decided to do a reboot but wanted to like make it for like adult audiences like no, the comic no. books and stuff right like they bring in all these movies because comic books when we were kids right a lot of people got into comic books when they were kids now what they do is like, they bring these things in mm-hmm. and they give them this like deeper deeper context like part of the formula i am a hundred percent certain mm-hmm. within the next 10 years we're going to have a street sharks reboot <laughs> and we're gonna see far more of what we know about who these four gentlemen are Aside from just being four <laughs> beautiful white men, one's gonna ha- the the guy who's a f- college f- or a high school football player is gonna have a severe drinking problem and the shakes from being hit so hard. We're gonna have 
Michael Bay will direct Michael it. Michael Bay. <laughs> uh, he did the Ninja Turtles movie, right? Am I making that up? And the Transformers. And Transformers. Oh, yeah, there's a track record there. Oh, that's that's concerning. He's already Michael Bay was already in talks to do the Mask reboot. I'm like, just same. stop. You're talking uh, you know, about Mask the Cartoon. Yeah, not, with, not, with Matt not, Tracker. Not the movie with Cher. Right? Not the Cher. <laughs> not the not the stupid Jim Carrey. You know. Oh, but right, I'm talking about Mask, mask Mobile Armored's uh, Strike Command. I'm I think like, that's yeah. my favorite theme song. Oh, <laughs> no, that's that, that's the thing about the the theme songs that we grew up with, and, and of course with uh, Street Sharks, it had everything. It had the dramatics. It had the mm. the bombast. It, even in in the '90s, you still had that. You know that 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 sax solo that is kind of reminiscent of the '80s, which yeah, know. I thought this the theme was kind uh, of weird. Almost, I expected more like, like this is awesome. It's like more grunge. Yeah. yeah, it shows where it's coming from. Because think about it, right? Not too long after that, a cartoon like Invader Zim comes out. It came out, I think, in the very late '90s. Yeah, not not much longer at all. Yeah. Right, and imagine how different of an, a general aesthetic that is from something not for that ended not three years before it probably mm. that's true that's a big right? leap right so now there. we think about the instrument of the saxophone the saxophone is generally regarded as an old-timey jazz instrument and in a rock sense very far back right right so is it not then fair to say that the guys in the production and the people who are making the choices for street sharks was probably a different generation than the people making the choices for things like Invader Zim, things for SpongeBob, right? Things for all these other things. Now, right in the late '90s, you start to see this like. Yeah, there's a line there. Yeah. Right, and it's even, like, even am, am I crazy? Like Pokemon. Yeah, like... Pokemon is like another thing, and um, anime became much, much more popular in the United States right around that time because of uh, things like DBZ, uh, yeah, Dragon yeah, Ball for yeah. any of our Dragon Ball Z, yeah. Um, that's funny. I hadn't. Yeah, this is this this show is a lot closer to, you know, the you know mid '80s cartoons I grew up on than mm -hmm. the stuff that showed up even two, three years just after. Just absolute, this, just mentioned. absolute trash. Yeah. Know nothing good about it. They got everything wrong. I think the I think uh, I'm trying no to think. No continuity if there's like a whatsoever. Point. Nope. Like, is it just a different generation of animators came in, or you know what happened in society to sort of lead to this? I think. Um, we watched. Well, that's a whole with, other uh, episode. We watched, yeah, we watched with John Serpico the uh, Men in Black cartoon. Right. I feel like that was kind of a transition between these two eras. We're sort of talking about like we, yep. we watched that, and it was pretty well written. There was some like decent funny lines in there. The animation style was definitely more advanced than this show. But was. there were some more adult themes to yeah, the but MIB. It, but, it but it was rise, still. Yeah, it didn't rise to the like level of like self-aware and like ironic that a lot of these other shows were bringing up. Right. Mm. Exactly. No, and back in the 80s, I mean, when we would watch shows like Transformers and, of course, Jim, they would have the public service announcement. They would have the knowing is half the battle. And, uh, and you know, doing the right thing makes you a true superstar. And uh, mm. you would you would there's there's a whole market for people who just watch the cartoons for the public service announcements. In fact, Mass. Uh, we were just talking about had one where um, Matt Tracker told his son, "Don't ever talk to a stranger because the, they could be a child molester." Oh, they actually went there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, this is around. 
I don't think cartoons did, did that as time progressed, especially, you know, the 90s. Well, there's tons of public funding for, for things like advertising um, from government organizations and nonprofits back in the day. If you guys remember, oh, sure, Dare yeah. in the 80s and yeah. the 90s, um, Dare was everywhere. You want to know something? I never participated in Dare. It just never, I was never required. My class was never required to do Dare. It's, it's a long story for another. Yeah, didn't make it over to us either. No, mm. I did some of it. It was pretty stupid. Did you get any awards? I got a paper award, like participation thing, for shaking a cop's hand or something. That's it. Those goddamn participation I, trophies. I, I think I've mentioned it before on here, but I really want to visit. I think one of my favorite, like, one-off cartoon things of all time. I, if we're talking like government-sponsored, I think Barbara Bush might show up at the beginning of it. There's, there's a special. So I guess it would have been winners don't use drugs. Eighty-nine or ninety. It was. Um, Saturday morning cartoon all stars to the rescue. It's the entire thing's like an anti drug special. We're gonna do one on that. And every character you could possibly think of from that era shows up. And, mm. uh, it, that that thing was something special. But uh, oh no, it's Boris Yeltsin. What might he do? <laughs> He's just a mild mannered clerk in the Soviet bloc right now. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, yeah. I mean, when I mean, you think about it. Watching a show like Street Sharks, it's very easy to understand what little funding, what like too short of funding. How could that that how that can impact something that many 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 people watch? Because even for that time, Street Sharks animation was like absolute trash, especially yeah, they're, in the they're... first season. The amount of frames per second is incredible. It's like sometimes the whole scenes are literally just like, it looks like four pictures fading yeah. out into one another. And it's like, you see that, but then when you watch later episodes, mm-hmm. once all the merchandising starts working and all the licensing and stuff, you start oh, to see that the, the production value up. goes up significantly by the end. Um, watching this episode in season one was like hard to watch. And there was even times where it's like, I wasn't even sure exactly what was going on because it was just, like, put together so badly. Yeah. You know? Well, and some of that with the writing, too. There are moments where they, like, contradict each other. Yeah. Jet says he's... Oh, there's a whole joke at the beginning about genes. Oh, yeah. Jet's like, uh, I've got to go to the doctor. They say he's going to fix my genes. Oh, yeah. Um, Whichever street shark he's interacting with. No, no, I think it's their friend. Says they look fine. He's like, oh, not my pants. Uh, He gets on his motorcycle. He drives off. He's wearing shorts the whole scene. (laughs) Right. Really? Something as simple as that. (laughs) Um, I just love that um, Streaks, the blue shark, is wearing, like, Cowboy boots. <sighs> yeah, I'm not the only change. So that you, if you remember, if anybody watches the first episode, you see like they basically change into these things. Like not only do they grow in size and stuff like that, but they also like somehow inhabit like their fingerless gloves in this gene transformation. So everything <laughs> changes, and like all that happens with that with <laughs> that guy. Yeah, all that happens with that guy is <laughs> he rips his shirt open, so his shirts off, and his like shoes get bigger, and like that's it. <laughs> yeah, and then he's also a shark on the top end. It's like so weird, but as a kid, yeah, you didn't think anything twice because you were a kid. <laughs> no, it didn't matter until years later when you start going back in the continuity, looking back at the continuity, and this doesn't really add up. <laughs> and uh, 
We it's don't... funny because I don't remember the toys. And, like, going back to, like, I, gu- I guess, what you were getting at before, Dave, was, like, mm-hmm. the, the a lot of those shows that had the, the like, public service announcements mm-hmm. slammed in at the end yep. where the entire rest of the show was a commercial for the, like, toy product line. Mm, right. And, uh, and I guess with these, like... Uh, like I said, I'm not I don't familiar with the either. toys, but I can picture like each one having their thing, like the rollerblades or like whatever ground smashing uh, action. Yeah, comes with real rollerblades. Like, yeah, mm. I could just picture somebody the street sharks. Mm-hmm. You know, some some commercial, but that but that was the '80s. You, uh, the 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 sh- the products and the shows would would basically pr- you know promote each other. Although I think the the t- toys were i don't know which came first chicken or the egg but i think the toys came first to, and then the i think the cartoons were technically there to support the the product or maybe it was vice versa there's a mediocre uh documentary on netflix oh we watch documentary that. series the uh the toys that made us yep that's mm-hmm. what and, kim and uh, i watch yeah the uh masters of the universe which uh i was like the exact right age for this was like he-man for those not familiar with it otherwise it was like the extreme version of this where they they, they had like half an old toy line and just like design some characters made the toy line and they're like all right now let's like make a cartoon show that advertise pretty these much toys. we whip together that are not particularly yeah. well made and no, i think called hannah barber right now hannah <laughs> yeah, right. barbera yeah no i think transformers was the prime example that they used in the toys that made us and that was the uh, the really the de-, de facto you know toy uh, that of of the decade that that we think of when we think of cartoons and then car- cartoon kind of you know promoted the product and um well and that the, what Al was saying beforehand happened with that too is you get like further into the series like the the original transformers movie that cartoon there was money spent on that thing oh the my animation god yeah. great you have orson welles in his last role oh yeah, yeah. oh i forgot about that yeah <laughs> nimoy did a voice in it there yeah. was uh i think they pay the weird al for an original song for it like yep. there's money getting tossed around for but, that. but when you think back to the transformers that michael bay did back in two, uh, in 2007 it was really really well done and the the, the characters in the optimus prime it was so real it really did you know yeah let's not talk about the uh, subsequent ones no no <laughs> but the first was spot on yeah that was pretty yeah yeah i don't know i I, i've always i've always been incredibly i've always been incredibly like pessimistic about these like these throwback resurgences that you see like when i heard that transformers was being remade i mean i remember there was a there was a later 90s or early 2000s cartoon that came out i remember seeing that when i was like 15 or something and being like this is stupid they shouldn't have done this this is just like this is such a see-through thing. It's yeah. like we're just trying to grab more money now because right. we know that you guys are like dumb enough to like yeah, get the, it. the nostalgia effect. All the new Transformers stuff, it's like abs- it's it's that type of thing done to an absurd degree where it's like you don't even have to make a new idea to make like box office 700 billion dollars. And just rehash it. So yeah. so here's the question, is that because it's replaying to the people who have nostalgia for it i i, I guess i'm asking that because like if you look at some i know they've rebooted um 
DuckTales not too long ago. Yep, and, really. And Muppet Babies, and from, Muppet our, Babies. from our first yeah. episode. But I've heard, I've heard yeah, really did. good things about these uh, critically, but they're not marketed to people who are nostalgic for them necessarily. I think it's mostly child audiences. Yeah, movies. exactly. People who never grew up on it. Than that's... the original. Well, so I'll I, turn I that. So that, that's a good question, but I'll turn around and say, who do you hear about the new Transformers movie from? Do you hear from children or is it friends of yours that are going who are like your age or around your age their kids on to the original transformers through these new incarnations well that's really interesting because i I, the the kids that uh, i was uh out doing doing my my new job the other day and i ran into uh this kid he had to be about eight or nine years old he had the rock he had all the nicktoons that we grew up uh rocco's modern life um um doug and 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 tommy pickles all on one t-shirt and I, I said, oh, really? How old are you? He's like, oh, I'm about eight. And he's like, where'd you learn these cartoons from? Or who'd you hear it from? My dad. And his dad was right there. And he was, his dad was raising him on all the, the Doug and, you know, the ah, real monsters. So yeah. that's where that's where the kids are going to get the uh, the ideas that we came up with. And, yeah, I do think it's a little bit lazy. But you also have to understand what some of these studios, not to defend them, are mm-hmm. having to work with. They probably are paying these writers diddly. And they're probably just in a back room saying, fuck it. And new new IP is scary. Hey, yeah. hey, we already own this. What, what can we do with it? Right. Mm. I don't know. It's, like, crazy to think about because it's, like, in terms of economies of scale, right? We're just like uh, there are people in our world that make shitloads and shitloads and shitloads of money and have absurd amounts of influence, right? Over a, a massive amount of people, we can take something as silly as like Transformers, right? Something as dumb and as silly as that, and that can be a force that can make a guy like Michael Bay into like a billionaire, yeah. right? And for me, it's like. It's so creepy to see that around you all the time. Yep. Like people are, people my age and older are sitting there posting up on Facebook, being like, "Yo, is the new Transformers movie gonna be like this or that or whatever?" If you make my predictions, people have prediction videos, and it's like all these people with like regular jobs, social influence. Quite a few of them, social media. Quite a few of them have children, yeah. and it's like they're sitting there psyched about Transformers. And I don't know when I was a kid. I would have never thought life to have been like this. Like, now I'm sort of talking about the idea of, like, oh, when do, when do people actually grow up and what is a childhood thing? But it's like, I don't know. It's uh, It still astounds me to this day when people are like, oh, do you want to go see the new Transformers movie? And, like, in my mind, I'm like, dude, that's kid shit. What are you doing? I, maybe I, I'm drank the hater in. You're you're also on, maybe. on on a, on a podcast with yeah, you guys pretty decided much. to make. Yeah, I know what you talk about what, childhood cartoons. <laughs> I, I, but Dave, I know what Al's trying to say. He's trying to say that we've become such a society where grown men in their 30s and their in their 40s still, you know, get really uh, not uh, maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, get really get into the continuity and to the um in, into all the 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 mistakes or the little nitpicky of the mm. the new the new Star Wars or the new Marvel or, or you know Marvel versus DC the new Avengers and they really take it to the next yeah. level which I I can understand where you're coming from in in a society where it feels like Rome is burning and Nero's about to play a fiddle it seems <laughs> like we're you know we're focusing on the uh, to to everything uh, that's to non sequitur but 
you, you also have to understand, uh, you know, not that we're a political podcast, but when Bill Maher, you know, you know, criticized Stan, uh, people who enjoy Stan Lee, 35, 40 year old people who, you know, mm. who, who, who still go to those movies. You know, I thought that was bullshit because, you know, not only is Bill Maher mm. kind of a douche in my personal opinion, but he's but it, but people who are in their 30s and 40s, they want to enjoy a, a good you know, um, you know, Marvel, Avengers, you know, Infinity War, Infinity War Two. That's fine as long as you're not getting, you know, you're arguing with other people and belittling other people who just want to watch the film, which, which is what happens mm. now in this day and age, especially with, with, you know, with with dudes who, you know, go to these comic cons and and they just ruin the whole thing. But yeah, as long as people are going and they're enjoying themselves and, the, you know, they, they want to remember what it was like when they were kids, whether they were watching cartoons or reading a comic book, then I don't care. I mean, if, if you're in your 30s mm-hmm. and you got kids you want to turn them on, that's fine. I mean, as long as there's some good coming out of it where they just want to forget about the world. You can't really un, unforce that on somebody, mm. especially so when it's ingrained into our society, especially with all the, the, the Star Wars uh, prequels that we've had. People, yes, Dave's he's hanging people, his head. People, no, I, I completely agree. People always use the word escapism like it's an awful, awful thing. It's in, not. In, in the society we live in right now, like every once in a while, it's just like nice to, you know, turn my brain off and think back to a better mm. time in my life. And like, I, yeah, I get off on the case, usually these like sort of reboot things. Like D- Dave mentioned uh, Rocco's Modern Life earlier. Mm. It's coming back, th- but I, not right, with the original I, I know, curators. I know that at the creators. very end of this month, like Netflix is putting a special of it out. And I'm excited that's that's coming out at the same time Jim Henson's uh, Dark Crystal show is coming out. Yeah. Netflix. Like I have mm. those hanging out in the back of my head knowing those are a few, uh, months from now because they each take me back to a different time in my childhood and it's fun and i can like escape what's going on in the world right now it's i mean maybe there's something sort of juvenile about that but like i don't know going back to that time period with like the way we function as a society I mean, now like just going back to it feels like a simpler time to some extent I, yeah <laughs> to us at least yeah, I don't yeah. like. I mean, I personally don't like it that you talk about juvenile behavior. The only thing juvenile about um, the the behavior of these fans is when they go onto these, you know, these groups on Facebook and they quiz other people on, you know, the, you know, their, you know, like a litmus test on how much they know about the cartoon. Like, oh, you're not a real fan, and that's when I draw the line because well, you know, if somebody just wants to enjoy it, <clears throat> you know, it, that that's fine. I'm not gonna. You know, if you want to make a joke about you know who uh, who Shira's nemesis is, that's that's fine. But you know, don't don't cause a don't don't cause a big stink over. But what's interesting to me, and I, so I get what you guys are saying, and I you know, to each their own and everything. Mm-hmm. But like one thing I'll sort of that sort of still makes me wonder is that when you think of your grandparents, or you think even of our parents. So we're how old are you guys? Well, I'm 35. 37. Okay, so we're generally around the same age, even though, as we were talking before, Linquist, like, there's, like, a... Minor we have some, generational. We ha- yeah, yeah, we have minor bit. generational differences, but, like, when you think about it, like, we all come from a time when we were all kids in the 80s. Uh, me on the later end, yeah, you guys a little say. more. Yeah. Um, we also think about a time when, uh, like, when I think of, like, my mom, right? She would tell me, oh, you know, I love the Partridge family when I was a kid. You know, when I was a kid, the Partridge family was everything. But, you know, and in my particular case, my mom was like 20, 
seven when mm-hmm. she had me, I believe. And it's like I can never remember a single time that any of that stuff has ever come up. Something from her childhood, say, between 13 or 14 and back. Right. And for most people who are of that age, I can – and again, depending on how many people listen to this, maybe somebody's got a counterexample. But for me, I can't think of anybody around that age that still participates or did participate when they were a part of my life in something that was from like their 12 years old and back. But nowadays – that is like such a normal thing for so many millions and millions of people. Think of it. Think of a Comic Con, right? Mm. That's big business and that's big money. That means that a lot of people well, are doing that. And Comic Cons are not. I, I've act, all right. Correct me if I'm wrong. I've never been to one, but uh-huh. Comic Cons are largely attended by older people. Yep. Yeah. Right. So unless and i'm just going to preface this by saying that like there are definitely probably examples of um sort of the opposite of what i'm saying but is it fair to say that we live in a society that so much more readily wants to hold on to those things as children into later stages well, in life yes I, I but think, i think you have to think about why that might exactly be. sure sure so I, I'm looking at it from like sort of two perspectives now. One, like the the massive rise in nostalgia in just the last few years or so, uh, I think can be tied into just sort of like the the pressures of outside society now. All disregarding our political climate, just the amount of media you are bombarded with having a phone at any given time you sort of escaping from it returning to that simpler time when like Mm. oh and at that point we all had common experiences a lot of people you can be nostalgic for something together interests are so fractured and so niche now that you don't necessarily share like the current Mm. show with everyone else and all this stuff is so much more readily acceptable uh, accessible accessible rather now like Partridge Family is a great example. It's you know something my mother probably watched growing up. Where could she have gone to access anything related to that? Yeah, you had to after w- it was off the was, air. Uh, you know? As you and I mentioned with Maybe Charles a David Rivers, Cassidy concert, we, we would have to <laughs> yeah, set the a record a time to go watch a certain show, and we don't have that anymore. We have Netflix and and Hulu and our are Roku's, but basically, did I pronounce it? Did I say Roku? Uh, Roku's. <laughs> Roku. It's like Boku. Roku. It's like Boku, the adult. Roku. <laughs> about to start an epidemic with that one, so folks. Look out. My, there goes my nostalgia again. Sorry. So with our Roku's and our Roku's, basically, we, we have everything at our fingertips. But you have to think also about how deregulation, and I know this has been mentioned and talked about ad nauseum, deregulation by the FCC it does play a factor into this. And you mentioned um, funding for children's programming, Al. Of course, you want to make the shows educational and informative. So you would see in the top right-hand corner, EI, which means what it, what it stands for, educational informative. So you have to kind of take the subplots and, the, uh, out of, uh, and you know, make it more informative. So that's why when instead of turning on NBC at 1130, instead of seeing Saved by the Bell and those types of shows, you would see... You know, something like Veggie Tales, or, mm. or or something along the lines of something in CGI, and it has to be, it can't be fun. It has to be something really, you know, you know, corny for maybe two year olds. So, uh, but I think deregulation does play a role into this because you have, what you have multimedia corporations gobbling every everything up. So when you have consolidated groups, 
you, you the, the 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 budgets become more constrained mm. and the ideas are you know are a little you know not within the the realm of what a studio wants to do so that's why it's much more marketable to rehash an old idea like transformers or I don't know if they have a Partridge Family reboot in the works. It wouldn't surprise me at this point. But done by Michael Bay, of course. <laughs> done by Michael Bay. Uh, but Partridge Family with explosions. <laughs> <laughs> it's so real. Like, oh no, the bus is going like, off a you, cliff. So we think Just, about we think about certain th- certain things in history that m- take one generation and make them markedly different from the one before, or markedly different from the one after. Right. One of the most obvious things that comes to mind is the atomic bomb. Right middle of the century nobody knew that it was happening in mass at large but then it happens Mm -hmm. and people are like holy crap we've now invented something that like can vaporize a city right and so people who were born and cognizant at that time have sort of a very different understanding of like the world and the way that it works because they are post-nuclear you know and then the cold war and everything just makes it all worse and all the propaganda and stuff but like take even in that time all you had was television sets with three channels and television was still sort of like a bulky weird thing that like you didn't do all the time so people didn't spend a shitload of time in front of screens i know that when i was a kid i'd sit there and watch saturday morning cartoons for like five hours go out and play and then come back and watch like pete and pete later on and like all things that i was into right and i'm sure that all of us in our shared our shared decades can say that like we spent a lot of time with extremely accessible media. Now, when we think about older people having generally not holding on to these same things that they did when they were children, they lived in a time when media was not as accessible. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. And not as such a large part of our lives. But for us, video games, uh, television, later on the internet, later on this, later on that, having so much uh, exposure to media and having it con- consistently on demand, most of us. Um, some some kids had mean parents, you know. Um, some parents didn't let their kids watch TV, and some parents didn't have cable. I remember there was this one kid I grew up with. His parents didn't have cable, so there was a lot you couldn't talk about as a kid because you couldn't talk about your favorite cartoons. I had a play date with my version of that kid once, and we went over to his house, and his uh, extent of programming to watch was his parents had a uh, VHS tape of the Big Apple Circus. Oh, my God. Really? Really? And that's it. PBS was the only channel uh, this one kid in our class was able to watch. And he watched, I think he was like 8 or 9, he was watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I'm like, really? This is all you do? Your parents allow you to watch? A little stunting? Mine too. Uh, My my friend liked Grease. Obsessed with the movie Grease. And I thought it was so strange. And it was like the only movie he had in the house. And I'd be like, "Um, okay, so... You're new to town. All you've been doing for the past few weeks is like riding a golf cart and watching Grease over and over again. Oh my god! Something's wrong with you. Anyway, did he break out and dance? And uh, no, but he John Travolta. He had his own. He had his own issues. Oh, but geez. like, um, it's like when you think about it, having media so readily available and having it become such a part of your life, is it then not a far cry to say that like later on in life we would many of us would still hold on to media and hold it uh media these media icons these little nuggets of media and hold them to a standard much higher than a generation that did not have media readily available to them absolutely and i think this goes back to other points in history like 
if you look at you know pre-industrial revolution childhood ended very early because everyone mm -hmm. was working on the family farms industrial revolution as it goes on and you know the kids aren't necessarily all in the factories or whatever it creates you know what we view as childhood now the 50s roll around post-war life's getting easier what we think of as teenagers are sort of created now because of whatever you know technological advances are going on and just like society that at this point this point now like media bombarding us it's i think it's just the kind of next step in progression mm. I, I, I mean i wouldn't call it an extended adolescence with us right now but it allows you to hold on to those things from you so longer. your friend had a golf cart yeah <laughs> yeah we used to ride it and crash into things all the time so we broke several of them. Do do you need a license to ride around in a golf cart if you're riding around on 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 like restricted access highways and roads? Um, I think you're not allowed to. Regardless, we were on private property, of course. Oh, oh darn! They owned a campground, but like that idea of like extended adolescence is, I guess, sort of. I think like you can look if you look at what what is happening now and say like, isn't this like crazy and weird and like look at it as a bad thing extended adolescence is like what you would use would as the term yeah. Yeah. but then if you looked at it and said like no there's there's you know this is it makes people feel good uh, it, it, for one example it makes people feel good in a time when people generally don't feel good then you're not going to call it extended adolescence you might call it something else right, right. yeah that's like a good way to like sort of think about it yeah absolutely it's interesting it's a lot to think about. <laughs> Thanks, Street Sharks. And I think it was the yeah, Cookie wow. Crisp, honestly. Yeah. Once I got rid of that high fructose corn syrup, I feel like it's got the cocaine <laughs> yeah, in here. Yeah, We're doing lines. Seriously. <laughs> seriously, old cereal. Eating cereal as a kid, it's like it literally felt like drugs all the time. All can, cereal was so bad for you. I uh, anybody got a dollar bill, I can just grind some of the shit <laughs> no up shit. right now. And if someone tried to give me wheat checks or something, I would like vomit and be like, "That stuff isn't even food." Oh, you can't put that up your nose. <laughs> I do like that cookie Chris has essentially become our peyote ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Whoa. The stuff we're seeing now. Uh, oh my so god. So this took some interesting turns. I love it. Yeah, I, this was a fun one. Uh, Thanks, so. Al. Hey, you know, who, who, would, who would have thought Cookie Crisp and Street Sharks would lead down some of these tangents? Yeah. Thank you, Al Gentile. <laughs> oh boy. Oh good. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, it was a fun one. Uh, any? I'm not exactly sure of the release date, but any um, specific plugs pointing back to like that SoundCloud you have up or anything like that? Any websites or Twitter handles or? Well, if you want to, albums, you know? if you want to hire me, you can check me out at algentillywrites.com. If you want to listen to me, you can look up the analogs on SoundCloud. I am working on a release, but um, the, it's more than dragging my feet. It's like mafios mafiosos gave me cement shoes, and I escaped somehow. And I'm like walking around very slowly, working on this. Okay. Uh, uh, we can talk about this later, but if you care to give us like. A clip of a portion of a song or something. Maybe Ooh. we can tag it on to the end of the episode. Yeah, we can. Give them a taste. Yeah. I just may be able to do that. All right. So uh, let us know. You got my email. Weezy. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So thanks again. Thank uh, you, Dave. It's Gentile. good to be back on the Great show. Great to have it's you back. Congratulations, and, uh, Dad. Yeah, yeah Daddy. And you're finally getting some sleep. Yeah. Yeah. A total of close to seven hours last night. Oh, that's which is the best. A record six, almost seven weeks in. So. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Stay cool. 
Special thanks to our guest this week, Mr. Al Gentili. Al, thank you so much for being on the program, convincing myself and Dave Linquist to do lines of cookie crisp and making us sit through an episode of Street Sharks. It actually wasn't a hard sell. Dave and I love doing this episode. And if you're ever in downtown Lowell, check out Al. He's hanging out just about everywhere. Really great guy. Great writer. Great musician. You can check out his band, The Analogs, on SoundCloud. We've got a clip for you right now titled, Appropriately Enough, Electric. So we'll close out with that in just a second. And of course, if you're on iTunes, don't forget to download the Frosted Side. Leave us a nice review. Check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Frosted Pod. Well, here it is, folks. The Analogs and Electric. For Dave Linquist, I'm Dave Morrison. We'll see you next time on the Frosted Side. Frosted Side.